Welcome to another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. I'm Todd, and I'll be your host today as we debrief with the cast of Apocalypse World. Just so our listeners are all clear, I'm here with Percy Hornack as Vance Holiday. Hi. Dex Fan as Sydney. Hello. TP Huth as Vector. Hi, y'all. Ella Mock as AZ Honey. Hey, y'all. And of course, our Master of Ceremonies, John John Johnson. Hello. Uh, so to get started, I know you're all RPG veterans, but none of you have played Apocalypse World before. So what were some of those things that surprised you that were different from past systems you've played in? Um, what were some of the things that you were expecting or not expecting? Just kind of how was this system for you? I think one of the greatest things about the system to start off with was none of us had known each other previously either. So this is session zero was also our uh, hi, my name is Dexter. Nice to meet you. Uh, and... Apocalypse World really provided a really nice way of creating our characters that felt very organic to also meeting new people. And that's not something I can say for like D&D or Pathfinder either. Um, yeah, to kind of piggyback off that, I think um, both because of the setting, like it being set in a post-apocalyptic world where you have to really rely on other people, but at the same time, you can't always trust the people that you're relying on. It felt like the really strong genre of it was helpful in terms of like, it gave us something to play against really well. And it also kind of bonded us together. Um, and that was really, it was really nice. It was really fascinating operating in a universe where like the world is a character having like the psychic maelstrom as a thing that exists. It's like, okay, great. Society is a character and civilization is a character. And the overwhelming trauma of being alive right now is a character. Um, and, and yeah, operating among and within and toward and against uh, all of those entities was really exciting. And on a purely like um, uh, writing of the RPG rules thing, I think that one thing that we all agreed in Session Zero, and you can hear it in Session Zero, is the playing against the like grim dark trope that is Apocalypse World sometimes. Um, and that is the writing of Apocalypse World. It is very like moody and angsty. And I think we commented on it in sometimes in play and sometimes like in between play and after play. But we had three really like soft and gentle and generous characters. Even like <laughs> Violet characters, like AZ Honey who is strong, was still like gentle and generous. Vector was a little bit different, but you know, whatever. Uh, we love Zier anyway, and it was really fun to play against the three of them in that capacity. But I liked that we all opted for that, like, more lighthearted, genteel way of approaching the apocalypse, as opposed to, like, everything is so heavy and dark. Oh, I, I think that's just the power of games in general. And I think it's when people come together and tell stories that they need. Like... Maybe, I don't think any of us, like, needed this, but it was so nice to have this respite from, you know, coronavirus and from, like, riots and everything to just sort of, like, take control of our sort of mental environments for a little bit and, and like, the, the joy of building a world together that is nothing like the world outside. And so, like, the thing about Apocalypse Worlds, for me, I, I have been DMing a 5e game for the past two years, and, like, it is... 5e is a lot more prescriptive, I think, in what you can do. 
Whereas here, at first, I the first like couple sessions, it's it was me trying to be that prescriptive and like not asking for as many roles. But then towards the end, I'm like, I was like, screw it, like just roll cool. I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's what a lot of the powered by apocalypse games do is they give you that freedom to be like, you know what, just roll this because it makes sense. And I don't have to be like, is this perception or investigation? I'm like, I don't know. It's hot. <laughs> like. <laughs> So that's that's a I, I I derive a lot of fun from the freedom that Apocalypse World has provided in that way. I'm emphatically nodding along, uh, but that actually brings me to one of my critiques of the system as a whole. Um, I think that there are too many rules in Apocalypse World, uh, in specific, like in terms of how you roll. Like I'm looking at the hard rules right now because that's just what I have up, and it's go aggro on someone, sucker someone, do battle. But uh, so there's three there that are plus uh, hard in addition to other options, like other things that kind of fall into the general hard category. Um, I think that something that a couple other PBTA games, I'm thinking Masks and Monster Hearts, do really well is kind of sum up all of the moves into like one really concise or really, really broad thing. the rule in masks is if you say you can do it, you can do it. Um, if you've never tried it before, you have to roll uh, to unleash your powers or directly engage or whatever. Um, but it's like, if you say you can do something because you are a superhero, you can do it. And I think that this this system sometimes, Apocalypse World, which was, as people who don't, may not know, this was what inspired um, all of the Powered by Apocalypse games. Apocalypse World was the first of them. Um, and I think that later Powered by the Apocalypse world, or Powered by the Apocalypse games, do a really, really great job of honing in on what makes this game really interesting and keeping the, like, we have four to five or four to six stats and each of them gets one move. And then anything else you can say, like, I just want to roll plus uh, cool or plus hard or whatever that may be, but we don't need to necessarily have a specific move for that. Mm-hmm. I do remember reading over the playbooks, just feeling a little overwhelmed with like, this is the role that you make if you're thinking about doing something that might involve (laughs) this specific thing. And I was like, "Uh." but in gameplay, it seemed much more easygoing with like, oh, yeah, I do a rule, a role with this modifier. And that makes sense. Right. Uh, That's really interesting because uh, you brought up the complexity of the of of Powered by Apocalypse, uh, the rules in general. And I, going in, I actually thought it was like super nebulous. Um, and like, there was a lot of things that we could do freeform. It all, and creating the character, it almost felt like, uh, whereas a lot of the complexity for like something like D&D or Pathfinder, a lot of it is like during the character creation, like what feats do you want to take? What traits do you want to take? What are you buying with your money? Uh, which classes are you like leveling things in, etc. Et Here, it was just like, you have your character and then all the complexity was like, in your roles, in what you were going to be doing. So I thought that was like an interesting like spin on something that's so traditional. I will say, I think I agree with T. However, um, one thing that I do really like about the moves in Apocalypse World is how many of them are oriented toward asking questions um, and how the MC is encouraged, like especially if you like miss a role to just turn the question back and ask you. Like, I think this game the gameplay is largely just sharing information with each other and then deciding what you're going to do with it. And I think it's really cool. Like I, I just had, it helped me engage on a deeper level than just like, what did my character, did, did my character find the secret door? Uh, I also, something I like about Powered by Apocalypse Games, my first DMing experience with, was, was with Dungeon World uh, before D&D. And so something I loved was that when you failed a roll, that's how you leveled up. That's how you got experience. 
And I think, like, I remember being so charmed with that because I'm like, that's how I level up as a human by fucking up. (laughs) I don't I don't learn by being good at something. I learn by being bad at things. And I think the spirit of that is what really drives my love of Powered by the Apocalypse games. You mark experience, you mark improvement because you messed up. And so there's something about that spiritual aspect of the games that always speaks to me. Mm -hmm. I also like that it encourages you to try things that you might not be good at. Like it encourages you to broaden what you're doing. Whereas like, I don't know, as someone uh, who largely plays this D&D, like I'm throwing off an Eldritch Blast. I know that's going to happen at the start of every fight because I know I'm not spending anything and I know it's probably going to hit and do damage. I'm like, I'm less willing to try a more ballsy spell or a spell that will use precious resources. That's the thing sort of with 5e is because it's a success-oriented game, as a DM, I have to build with successes in mind. Mm-hmm. Like I, because I have learned that like when you, I love when players fail. And so I set up fail mechanics with increasing stakes. And I've learned that when characters encounter my fail mechanics, they get really frustrated because this is a game that you were designed to win. You know, I encounter on forums so many DMs that are like, it's a combat simulator. You know, and so it's it's five E is very much built to win. Whereas Apocalypse World, I was delighting in the fact that it's like I built a lot of stuff that people missed, and I was like, that's delightful. Like, you rolled badly, you didn't find the thing, and this creates a new branch for the story. Mm-hmm. So it is equally about what you what you accomplish versus what you miss, and that as a DM is very liberating to build for because I don't have to build with only successes in mind. So the story mm. never grinds to a halt because the party fails a check. That's so, that's like such an inspiring way to look at this. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm thinking into the distance right now. <laughs> but it's like in 5e, you all are stuck at the door and the rogue fails the roll, And the DM is like, well, I guess you're stuck at the door. You know, whereas in Apocalypse World, it's like, oh man, I'm going to go pick the door lock. And then it's like, oh, I broke my lock pick. Well, I guess I'm going to go kill someone else. Like, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. like this, this is no longer my objective. My objective is like, and it doesn't disrupt the story. It allows me as a DM to create more portents and things like, oh, now someone finds out you, you didn't pick that, you know, oh, I couldn't find eggs. I couldn't find <laughs> what does that do to the story now? And now there's a brief moment of tension between AZ Honey and Vector, you know? And like that allows so much more forward storytelling, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, failing forward, which is also just sort of really a fun term in general. That's making my initial gameplay experience make so much more sense to me because I was approaching our very first session with such a like, very like I was like I need to find what the main story is like every single time a a plot hook happened I found myself like zip 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 I gotta this is this is definitely it and it just wasn't and I think because I built about 10 different hooks with equal importance like and because I was really interested to see which hooks and that was sort of the drawback is coming from, like, I was like, man, they are equally interested in everything. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but then that's why you y'all went on this, like, troca-spanning adventure, right? Y'all went all over the place. I'm like, great. That's cool for me, too, because then I'm like, oh. And then, you know, the, the, the age-old DM trick is like, well, I didn't get to use that there. Now I'll slot it here, and I don't have to build anything because <laughs> it's already built. Um, and then, you know, things like 
it, it allows me where it's like vectors fingers on every pie is a great example twice because it's like vector fair failed zero roll on um trying to get snow and lily and that's how seren entered the picture and seren had her own little mini arc there towards the end which you know very helpful for az and so like from the dm standpoint characters failing is just as interesting as characters succeeding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that was super liberating for me who like really digs into details i have repeatedly frustrated people who i've played uh D with because i'm like no no i want to find out more about like the feelings of this goblin so i can decide if we're gonna kill him or not so like let me do this and um time and time again in apocalypse world i felt rewarded for like <laughs> being detail oriented um, whether that was like, I don't know. I feel like going to a bar. I feel like hitting on this person at the bar. Let's learn about this person or like, yeah, let's, let's dive into this little avenue. Um, and I didn't feel that guilt that I normally feel where I was like, Oh, I'm not like contributing to the storyline. I'm not moving the plot forward. I'm the one holding us up. Um, and instead I felt like I was helping to create more rivulets. Um, yeah, it was really fun. One of the things that I was really taken with about the Master of Ceremonies playbook is that it kind of, uh, kind of contrary to how many other games work, it's okay with splitting the party. In fact, there's some moves specifically for the Master of Ceremonies about isolating people or removing people. Um, and so getting to have those lovely like I'm going to go over here and do this thing because that's what this character wants to do is very encouraged. And it was really delightful to get to hear um, that. It also allows for a lot of the minute storytelling, you know, it it's why um, where, you know, the towards the end there when it's like, hey, Seren sidles up to you, Vector, or hey, AZ Honey, you're in a room. Guess who appears while you're isolated and alone? Like it leads to those moments in a way that I don't think other systems I've played in have really encouraged because so much mm-hmm. of them encourage that sort of party unity. But something about the selfishness of Apocalypse World you know, the way all the characters are written, like I'm looking out for myself and I'm gonna survive this thing. It, in a weird way, encourages that independence, which I was really, really keen to key on. I never once needed the party to be together the whole time. Like, so had some of them, like everyone came together. It's like, let's go on a journey together. I'm like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I was really worried that only two were gonna go off. But then I was like, I had a whole set of things built for those who stayed behind and we would just, camera focus like game of thrones you know like but better um, <laughs> um but yeah so I, I liked that i was I, I as the master of ceremonies was encouraged to let people have their individual moments mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if it's like a credit to john john or if, to the apocalypse engine as a whole here uh for the splitting off of the party uh probably a little bit of both um but it never felt like when someone was doing their own thing, like in a lot of other systems, it's easy to just like go like zone out or uh, become uninterested. But even when the camera focus wasn't on you as the player, it was still like so rewarding to pay attention and stay engaged while the other person was having their moment. And that's like something that I think really shines here. Yeah, you could not see us while we were 
playing, but like everyone was silently screaming or <laughs> just uh having a having a whole time privately to themselves when their character was not present. Um, but yeah, I felt as a role player really challenged to like, cause I'm also not like by profession an actor, I'm not used to like fault pursuing an objective and like thinking of like, how do I get the thing that I'm going for? But it was like a real cool flex of that muscle to be in a system that encourages like, you can do whatever you want. So of course you're going to fall back on like, what is my character trying to do? Yeah. I was really pleasantly surprised by at the very least, like how Vance's arc went and that there was like an actual story there. I didn't know that I could do that. (laughs) Um, And speaking of the, like what every, every character wants, uh, I think one of the strengths in this group that I don't think we did intentionally, but it worked out really well is we picked two players or two characters, two playbooks that were very like power focused and like big world focused. And then two characters that had more individual focuses at like their goal. Um, And I was actually really concerned about that at first. And I brought this up during session zero uh, when Percy decided that he was gonna play the hard holder. I was like, well then should I play the Maester D because they both have like an established like business and there could be some animosity there and some tension there. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was the story we wanted to play. And I think that that came up, but it also like, we got to play the opposite as well. Like we got to play, like we have very, very different philosophies on how to run a business and how to run a world, but also there's a lot of mutual respect there. And it was really fun getting the chance to examine how power structures work in a world that is kind of power structureless, or rather not power structureless, but has power structures that are very, very different from our own as we have currently established them. And I'm always interested in playing like power structure stories. If you all ever listen to the masks game that I run, it is very like, there are nine different organizations that all want control of the city and our small team of teenage heroes is in the middle of it. So like, I think that that story is really interesting of like, how do we fit into the bigger picture? So that was something I was really enjoying leaning into. I'm shouting it out. It's Moon Harbor Heroes. You should listen to it. I mean, I'm not going to say you should, but I mean, you should. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also something I delighted in building, like the just the power structures as well. Like one of the reasons I built so expansively at the beginning was to see what people, again, what people hook into, you know? And so when you were like, I got a story, I'm come from speakeasy, I come from the junk way, I come from, everyone came from a different place. And I was like, ooh, ooh, that helps me a lot. So like, we don't focus on the places that, you know, no one is interested in. Because that that feels like collectively, it's me putting my finger on the pulse of the group, being like, what stories are you interested in? As opposed to me being like, we're going to this place and you're all along for the ride. Like, one can DM that way. And that's that's a type of game, you know, and it's, it can be fun. Um, but this this is the kind of story I'm more interested in telling. And it's, it's what I try to do in most of the times I DM. You know, it's like, what what is the group interested in so uh, otherwise it tends to feel indulgent for me you know what i mean and i want everyone i want everyone to indulge and have a place at the table and like tell the stories and like because everyone came in is like i don't quite know what story i want to tell but then like everyone already had latched onto hooks i'm like great i can sense your impulses as best i can and like try and build a world that is interesting for everyone to play around and very sandboxy Mm-hmm. But like true, like true Americans, everyone's like, I must accomplish all the tasks. 
Uh, like true video gamers, we're just trying to Skyrim all these caves, okay? Oh, so I will actually point out, I attended a, a symposium on immersive theater and uh, site-specific and immersive theater, right? And there was a Swedish group, or not Swedish, Swiss group called, I think, Mersamax. And they did like video game theater where it's like, you, it's like an escape room, right? You go in and you solve the mystery and you disarm the bomb. And one of the things they noted was that in Europe, it was like maybe 50% of the audiences succeeded and were like, whatever, we blew up, but that's okay. But American audiences were like, we will not lose and had like a 95% win rate. And the ones who didn't win were mad, you know? So it's like, <laughs> there's something very much about completion and accomplishing all the tasks. And I was like, oh, maybe that's very American, you know? Yeah. I mean, it sounds right for us. We're, yeah. we're abrasive. I mean, I felt I felt that impulse, but I, that's also just the person that I am by nature. Um, and it's funny that I chose the the playbook that is very like um, needs control and has a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I also think it's funny that T and I, who both are GMs in other parts of our lives, chose like the leadership playbooks. <laughs> It's funny, I, whenever I play other games, I try to choose the dumbest or drunkest characters because I just don't want the responsibility. <laughs> I always find myself playing the character who ends up like as the leader of a group, like across the board. My characters, not all the time, but tend to end up as like fairly competent and fairly like I am in charge right now. Someone listen to me. And it's like, it was really fun playing Vector who thought that Z was in charge, but just so was not. <laughs> um, like Z was 19. And so like, that's a true 19 year old mood. Like I remember being that <laughs> same. I want to ask Ella a question because I remembered something that they said in our session zero, which is that they always tend to play like a, a tank. Like I, I swing my sword, which in some sense, I think you did but I feel like AZ is so much more than that. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, it was funny because like I said that and then I went with the battle babe because I was just like, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm doing and this is what sounds fun to me. And then I had those feelings of like, I just did that. I did it again. It's just another person who swings their sword. And then before our first like real gameplay session, I was looking over my stats to get a feel for what I could do. And then I was like, wait, no, the battle babe is not the sword swinger. Like my in battle stats are not great. <laughs> like as far as if I'm like actively uh, fighting, I can, like I'm not automatically going to kill someone. So this is a character that I have to like think a bit more about and think about how, what is my game plan to like use my cool instead of my hard whenever possible <laughs> because I'm an infinitely cooler person than I am hard, I guess. <laughs> um and then that had made me think about the character like okay, so they're not just like a rush into battle like chaotic person i kept thinking um in, of the battle babe in terms of cool um above any other stat and so yeah it was like interesting that my my impulse to like fall back into that comfort zone of like tanky tank swingy sword pushed me into this place of like a little discomfort and a little exploration of of Maybe just a different way to be a tanky tank swinging sword. 
But what a risk, what a payoff. Like, AZ was such a delightful character. <laughs> I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with her. Then. So thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone. I hope it was rewarding for you, too. Yeah. I will say, I feel like uh, Apocalypse World does lend itself to a certain... I think some people will enjoy it more than others, uh, because in the more traditional tabletop games, there's a lot that goes into the table uh, as well. So this uh, Apocalypse World and engines powered by the Apocalypse are almost all uh, theater of the mind, right? So someone who is used to like, like Todd mentioned, like I sit down, I hit cast Eldritch Blast because that's that's a spell that I have. Whereas here, it's like we had to decide in character creation that Sydney had a net shooter and his go aggro on someone would be to shoot that net shooter. Like you're there's, it's not like particularly clear what you can do, but that also opens up the world to you in the sense that you can, you can do anything. You can ask to try to do anything. Basically. I, I feel like that's not something that is uh, as prevalent in like a D and D or Pathfinder setting. That's something I was kind of intimidated by um, just because like, I don't know. I felt myself like keeping track of so many things and then I like relaxed into it and was like, okay, now I can just like summon whatever I want into, into existence, um, to serve, to serve my needs. But it was definitely, yeah, it's so much about being creative in a way that I think D and D is not. Um, and that was really refreshing. I also think our particular game really rewarded the social aspect of the story. Um, if you read the apocalypse world book, there's a large section on combat and there's like a large section on like vehicle combat, which we got a little bit of, but not a lot of, but like vehicle combat, uh, like combat with like big armies, like gang combat. There was a lot of stuff that we never really dug into in terms of the mechanics of it. And I think that was something that John John did really well was like immediately in our first game, it was pretty clear that we were all interested in like exploring the social sides of this world rather than like, I want to swing a sword at some zombies out in the wasteland. This game could have been super, super different if we had someone like the driver, because there's an inherent, like, we're going to go drive. We're going to go Mad Max on this. We're going to go mm-hmm. cruise through a wasteland and shoot some stuff and run our truck into something. Or like if Percy's Hardholder had been more like, Hey, I want to get more land. If Vance had been like, I want to conquer as opposed to, I want to become a safe haven. Decolonize the fade away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's, it's Apocalypse World is set up that it's got both like a really solid social side and a really solid like combat side, which I don't think D&D does. And I think D&D is the system most people are familiar with in terms of uh, role-playing. D&D tends to reward combat. If you look at the like handbook, there's like, Last I looked, the first 5e8 book I had, I think it was like 15 to 20 pages on like how to play social stuff. And then like 250 pages on like spells and weapons and mounts and those kinds of things uh, of how to play combat. So yeah, I like that our story went in that direction rather than in the, we're going to fight everything we can come across. Uh, I, I did want to throw in some combat just because it's like y'all took some cool moves and I was like, well, this combat is less about trying to TPK and more about letting you all show off what you can do. You know, and that, that's what I was much more, in- I'm always more interested in the sort of the 
powered by the apocalypse be a fan of the characters rule for the dm where it's like yeah everything is like gritty and dark and whatnot but like these people have survived the apocalypse they're hella cool <laughs> like show everyone how cool they are you know so if you have sydney leaning out one window shooting a net shooter and like az out the other just very calmly sniping people like it's NPC. Advanced just like ordering a whole group of people while while Vector's like, I'm gonna dance around with a, a sword cane. Like, <laughs> like, why not show that off? You know, there that is part of the game. So I was like, well, let's do a little one in here. But it, it seemed that combat was the thing that people were least interested in. Yeah. I mean, what I really loved about your session zero um, was hearing all of the input about like what sort of a story were the players interested in telling. And I remember talking with Percy in the chat, just being like, this is what all games should be like. This is how it should work. This is like such a masterclass in how you GM. This is like so cool. And so for the players, um, I'm wondering, uh, given all of the input that you had on the story that was being told, um, what were some things that surprised you that delighted you um whether it was something that we had talked about being involved in the story and suddenly it showed up in a place that you weren't expecting or just like the story went in a direction let's say of eggs um that no one was expecting and was still a delightful thing that we all latched on to yeah i in terms of the discussion that came up for session zero it was really fascinating for me because at the same time that I've been playing this game, I've just started um, training to become an intimacy choreographer. And so those discussions, um, there's something that the folks at uh, TIE, at um, Theatrical Intimacy Education, say about um, boundaries create the possibility of boundless creativity. Um, and so because we all knew, like, great, uh, this story is not going to go here or here or to X or to Y, there were so many more possibilities within that to be like, great, I'm going to like, just be a weevil and burrow real, real deep into this one possibility or like fan out and explore all these possibilities. And so in terms of connecting a theater work back to this process that felt very, very true um, in thinking about like how free my mind and my body felt to enter into this world of unknowns, knowing just a few things that like weren't going to show up. I also like, I don't want to speak for how anybody else here identifies themselves, but like, I'm a trans person. I'm a queer person. This is a room full of people who are under that umbrella in some way, shape or form. I felt so free to just like be unapologetically myself. Um, and I'm really grateful for this space. And also I think like, because the apocalypse world book is so gendered and has a phrasing that I don't love about gender. Like I, it was just really nice to push back against that and just be like, okay, here's, here's a very soft ace non-binary person who is like living their best life, leading us, leading a hold. Like I, I really, yeah, that session zero is really just nice. Like I, we've finished it and I just felt so good about the game that we were going to play, which doesn't answer your question at all, Todd, but <laughs> I just wanted to say it. Um, 
to piggy off of that then, because I think I can tie <laughs> it in, it just, I think it created an environment where everyone was excited to get into the story, um, not having to worry about certain things come up. And even if like some people have like fewer hangups about certain things than others, like no, you, you as a party then know that you're all going into a story that you're going to enjoy or that is for you. What I'll do with like a lot of media that I consume is I'll read about it beforehand online to find out of, oh, there's this like graphic depiction of like queer death. And I'm like, oh, okay, well that just like ruins the book for me. If I'm like already like halfway through it, then I, I've just wasted my time. Whereas here it's like, you get to curate what you're going to experience like in that similar way. Right, like at no point, even though I am so unfortunately desensitized to a lot of different kinds of violence um, based on what is available in the media today, which is a lot, just because I don't have an acute reaction to experiencing description of that kind of violence. At no point am I like, oh, darn, no trans misogyny today. This ruins my (laughs) gaming experience. Like, yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. There was a really interesting post on the like official D and D page on Facebook, which please do not join it. It's just <laughs> bad, y'all. Um, it is not a healthy environment across the board. But someone posted like a like one page, uh, pretty extensive survey of like here's a PDF of uh, potential triggers, so people can be like, never, sometimes. Uh, always like you can like check like I'm always okay with this I'm sometimes okay with this I'm never okay with this um and it like went through like common fears and like sexual assault and all sorts of things that like you want to address like and the backlash on it where people were like this is so ridiculous like snowflakes and all sorts of terrible terrible language was so visceral that I was like actively like upset for like a day or so just being like why do people care so much if we set up a safe environment for our players? And I love that mm-hmm. our initial session zero was like John John came in being like, so safety mechanics, we're going to start with that. Like, let's start. Mm-hmm. And I think every session zero should start with safety mechanics. You should absolutely start with starting strong and starting confident and starting with safe. I don't know. Maybe I'm the outlier in that in the RPG world, but I doubt it. I think it's just like the, the the people who are commenting on those, like, I think they just haven't experienced a playgroup where they were pushed into their, pushed out of their comfort zone to try something like this. A lot, like, unless I'm like with a group of like a, a queer friends doing like a tabletop RPG, like a lot of this doesn't get broached either. Right. So it just, I feel like it lends itself to liberating your group. It You'll just feel a lot better while you're playing, like bottom line. Mm-hmm. Like, even actually, if it's, like, miserable, like, deciding what you don't want to participate in, like... It, it comes, for me, from a lot of trial and error. It's the number of games I've played in where we haven't established mechanisms where someone gets hurt. The, I think the people who bla- backlash against it, my, my, my psychoanalytic suspicion is that either they're in, they've never been traumatized or they're in, they're in denial about their own trauma. You know, like, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the two categories, what it boils down to, about people who lash back against safety mechanics because they feel that they're being censored. They feel like it's like, oh, well, I want to tell an edgy story with all kinds of sexual assault. I'm like, cool, well, like, not everyone wants to do that. I think the thing that people like that are missing out is that these are not mandatory rules. Like, if you don't want safety mechanisms don't do them but i won't join your game ever that's a that's a huge red flag for me 
please tell me if you're not going to use them so I can avoid your games, you know? I also just want it to be more common practice in general. Like, even if you don't, even if you personally don't agree, you, there are people in your group who will need it. Probably, I have my own set of triggers, but I came into a group not knowing anyone, right? And I was like, I know I have mine. I don't know what anyone's are here. So let's just create a space where we know I'm not going to hurt anyone by storytelling. It goes both ways because now, you know, I'm trying to set up a space in which I don't hurt my players and they are creating an environment that doesn't hurt me. We're all looking out for each other as a result by just ha having a frank conversation. The idea is to play a game, and the idea behind a game is to have fun. And if your idea of fun is hurting other people, get away from my table. Right, and like, we can be challenged without being hurt. And we can be surprised without being hurt. And we can feel emotions without being hurt. Like, seeing... Um, Vance, like, go and tell Baruch to, like, get a hit out on, um, Seren. I was like, <gasps> like, I had the full, I had, like, the full body uh, reaction. Those of you in the video chat could see it. And, like, that didn't require for any of my deep trauma to be accessed. That was just something that happened. And I think that so often these deep fears and this is true um like as an actor I experience this so often where people want me to um unlock for them my deep traumas and like my horrid experiences in order to access something air quotes real or true like no you don't need any of that you don't need that for a game you don't need that for theater yeah. And I think like my biggest, like the thing that surprised me most about this experience was the level of trust that we built with each other from the very beginning. Like I've never experienced that at a table where I felt like, like I was in a position where I could be really vulnerable. Like, um, I don't know, a lot of the things that Vance has anxieties about are things that I have a lot of anxieties about or that I'm super uncomfortable with. Um, like we did that, like when um, we were talking to Jacqueline and like they could have really hurt AZ Honey. That was hard and challenging. And it was really cool to be in a, in a space where we could explore that um, and to have had a process that like built that level of trust between people who don't know each other particularly well um, right from the beginning. Yeah. And it, I felt really free to just like discover stuff like I didn't know at the beginning of the campaign that what Vance really truly wanted was to feel legitimate as like a player in this broader game and like a, a person who mattered in this city but that's totally what they wanted and then like they got that um and that's really cool yeah 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 um this has been a lovely discussion does anybody have any final thoughts before we head out I had a lot of fun. This was a really great campaign. <laughs> I know that's not like a productive answer, but we were in the middle of quarantine when this started and it was really lovely for, uh, I don't know how many of us are full quarantine, but it was nice to have like a social outlet that was safe and fun and also like a world that had stakes, but that didn't have stakes that were so near and dear to our hearts as it were. Um, yeah, it was just a delight to play in. It was uh, it was very freeing to create all this stuff, and uh, you know I, I feel very 
fulfilled and like validated just even it was just like three sessions i was like oh like this is a this was so nice and so thank you for indulging in this world with me i i can't stress enough how easy it was for us i think that it'll translate to our listening audience um how easy it was for all of us who had not met before to bond because of the way that apocalypse world was or the the engine works and also like how the game was created on our part it was just a very it was very easy to bond so that's that's my advice to gms dms and mcs everywhere it's like i really do believe collaborations where it's at like if you're inviting people to play at your table it's not so you can subject them to things it's so that you all can tell a story together and that was the mindset i brought here is like i don't know any of these people coming in but i want to tell a story with them it's just about what happens <laughs> that's what i think i think we accomplished that I wish y'all could see our faces during the podcast because <laughs> watching everyone on video was hilarious. The moment where uh, Sydney and Baru kissed, we were all like looking out of our chairs, like grinning, fist pumping in the air. Like we were so excited for each other. And when Sandra O oh showed up at the end of session one to AZ Honey's room, like all of us. Honestly, I think my favorite part of this game was watching Percy's reactions because Percy <laughs> felt everything so viscerally and I loved watching him just like fucking gasp and like put his hands all over his face and be like, I am shook. It was incredible. I, yeah, when AZ Honey met Seren, I was... Um, I was reacting, in fact, so um, distractingly that Ella could not play the scene. Because <laughs> I was so clearly in distress. <laughs> they were just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Everything is fine. You're messing up my game. I think we all also had like this equally like horrific slash, oh my god, I can't believe that happened when Vector came in and like poisoned the entire bar. <laughs> Failing a roll, and then like that's my favorite part is like Z failed, and it was hilarious, and like Z's response was like everybody let's go right now. No No questions, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. Z also failed and gave AZ Honey a girlfriend. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Honestly, you're welcome. (laughs) That's again going back to the failing forward. Like that's the delight of the apocalypse world. Uh, apocalypse engine games is that like failure is a way to tell a story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again like i built just little skeletons like because i was like what are these crazy kids gonna do <laughs> it was anywhere from like let's befriend them and talk nice or like let's ignore them for plants to like i'm gonna murder them because it, like, it was like there was a huge spectrum of choice there and i was like i cannot prepare for any of these there's nothing i can prepare for so let's just like keep an open heart because these people are going to do something to surprise me we will have to revisit sometime in the future and find out what the trouble in river city was yep I mean, there was that. There's like, I have the, I will probably share my DM notes at some point. Like, if, if y'all want them, like, you can see how I build. It's actually pretty sparse. It's just like, here's some people, here's a pre beat for them. And then the rest is like some improv based on what y'all are interested in finding out. And then like, my reactions are always like, oh. And so many of the NPCs are based off my current DD campaign characters. So I would tell them, be like, oh man, they hated your character. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, person- who did we hate? <laughs> Isabel Moreau. Oh yeah. Yeah, Isabel, <laughs> Isabel is a changeling in our in our five E game, 
That's wild. Um, the bard warlock, right? And she changes faces and infiltrates and like assassinates people that are bad. <laughs> and like, and like Seren is a disaster bisexual rogue. <laughs> um, like, and there we go. Like, like you're the most dangerous person here. I love you. <laughs> so they they were also delighted because that's all that that was just like I'm just gonna plant Easter eggs for my other group as well because they will listen to this and I think delight in the fact that their characters have an additional life. Because here's here's my dumb secret, right? And I will reveal to everyone. Every game I DM takes place in the same universe. So like this is actually just the far, far, far future of my 5e campaign. So Yulia and Eliorin and all those gods and goddesses are the same gods. And like, so the Dungeon World campaign I built went into the 5e campaign, now goes into this. So even though like this feels very disparate, it's all connected in what we've been affectionately calling the John John shared universe. <laughs> like now all four of these characters are immortalized in the canon of my games. I'm imagining that the franchise has merchandise. Like I can get Yulia plushies and like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want a ficus plush. <laughs> <laughs> Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percy Hornack, and Nick Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Irremediably Home, our Apocalypse World campaign, features John John Johnson as the writer and master of ceremonies, Percy Hornack as Vance Holiday, T.P. Huth as Vector, Elamok as AZ Honey, and Dex Fan as Sydney Thorpe. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DN Drama Nerds and on Facebook at Dungeons and Drama Nerds. For cast bios, head to our website, dungeonsanddramanerds.com. And tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds.